Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Hi, I'm Jessica St. Clair, but you can call me Jess if you're nasty. And I'm Dame Casey Wilson. We are actors, comedians, and podcasters. But above all else, we are self-appointed masters of small talk. We have written a soon-to-be Nobel Prize-winning audiobook that will shortly change the course of history called The Art of Small Talk. Now, it's no secret that, that some people don't like small talk. Don't like it? Casey, everybody hates it. Except for us. We love to chit-chat bullshit, and that's why we wrote this book. Well, it's an audiobook. You're welcome. Who has the time to read? Not me. There will be research, but not too much, because what is this, a book report? We'll also hear from learned scholars like Malcolm Gladwell and from the most important people in the world, celebs like Amy Poehler, Tony Hale, June Diane Raphael, and Colin Quinn. You can grab your copy of The Art of Small Talk today at pushkin.fm slash smalltalk or wherever you get your audiobooks. Don't forget, you can listen with your Audible and Spotify memberships too. The Art of Small Talk. How to go shallow to go deep. Pushkin. A little content warning. We get into some pretty troubling descriptions of autism from back in the day in this episode, plus some deluxe feelings and some tears. So keep that in mind when listening. Okay, onwards. I'm a person who wants to know all the answers. It drove my parents nuts when I was a kid. I just wanted to know everything. And this autism evaluation process was no different. I didn't just want to blindly take a bunch of tests and spill my guts out to a therapist. I wanted to understand the legacy of autism diagnostics. So I put on my reporter hat and dug into it. And by reporter hat, I mean a jaunty little fedora that has a press pass jammed in the hat band. All of us journalists have one. The history of autism testing kind of starts with a guy named Dr. Bernard Rimland. In 1956, Bernard and his wife Gloria welcomed their first child, Mark. To the new dad, his infant son seemed different from all the other dodo babies in the nursery. Baby Mark was wide-eyed and precocious-looking, Bernie recalled. When Bernie and Gloria got Mark home from the hospital, they knew something was off. He screamed nonstop 
sometimes 12 hours a day. And trying to comfort him only made it worse. The howling was so constant and so piercing that the Rimland's neighbors would complain. Real neighborly, you jerks. But it wasn't just the endless wailing that gave the Rimlands pause. As Mark got older, he would also bang his head against the wall, rock endlessly back and forth, and speak in full sentences, but to no one. Once he shouted, come on, let's play ball, out of nowhere, much to his parents' surprise. Bernie and Gloria knew this was far from typical behavior. Together, the harried parents took Mark to pediatricians and psychotherapists to figure out what was going on. But none of the professionals had a clue what was wrong. One of the psychologists they saw repeatedly asked Bernie, why do you hate your son? Not helpful. One thing you need to know about old Bernie Rimland is that he wasn't just a concerned dad. He was also a psychologist. Beginning in the 1950s, Bernie served as the director of research at a naval base in California. He had a Ph.D. in experimental psychology and an expertise in psychometrics, or the measurement of mental attributes, behavior, and performance. So it was Bernie's job to devise personnel testing programs for the Navy— The dude clearly knew his way around data and analysis. But Bernie's professional pedigree didn't make it any easier for the Rimlands to get answers about Mark. There was no Google or YouTube or Facebook back then, no parent support groups or school-based programs, and the doctors were practically useless. The standard advice at the time for parents of kids like Mark was to institutionalize them and basically forget they ever existed. Kids who behaved like Mark were considered demented and labeled as freaks, repulsive and unworthy of care. At the suggestion that Bernie institutionalize Mark, he was like, oh yeah, no, we're not doing that. He and Gloria were going to figure this out. They were going to do what the medical community couldn't or wouldn't do. So the pair poured through their old psychology textbooks and finally landed on what they thought was the answer— Mark was autistic. Because this was the 50s, most doctors had never heard of autism. It was like, autism? What autism? And those who did know what autism was described it like this. Children in a shell. In a glass ball. Cut off from the world around them. I mean, was the kid a snow globe? Why was he in a glass ball? But this was the way autism, or infantile autism as it was called then, was talked about in Mark's youth, if it was talked about at all. Autistic people were afflicted, cursed, possessed. They had demons. They weren't right. So basically, prevailing ideas about autism at the time were trash. And because there was hardly any clinical understanding of the condition, many autistic kids and their parents were left to fend for themselves— But our pal Bernie figured he could change that. He was like, why can't I come up with some sort of standard test for autism? I have all the psych skills. I'm all about psychometrics. I can do this thing. Or something like that. And it's kind of because of this DIY dad that I found myself sitting in front of my computer on a mid-November day, staring down a half dozen autism tests. 
You're listening to the loudest girl in the world, who is not your high school best friend. It's me, Lauren Ober. The Loudest Girl in the World is a show about finding yourself broken in a pretty dark place and emerging from that place a mostly glued back together person. For better or worse, there's a long history of parent involvement in autism. But Bernard Rimland might be the most influential autism parent. Once he and his wife landed on an autism diagnosis for their son, Bernie was going to fix him and cure all the other autistic kids in the process. After nearly a decade of obsessive research and observation of his son and other kids like him, Bernie published a book in 1964. It was called Infantile Autism, the Syndrome and Its Implications for a Neural Theory of Behavior. Infantile autism apparently was... A rare and mystifying disorder of obscure etiology and uncertain prognosis. This is from the 1968 educational film Infantile Autism, The Invisible Wall. It is predominantly characterized by self-imposed isolation, disinterest in other persons, along with a compulsive interest in mechanical objects, insistence on the preservation of sameness, and highly characteristic language behavior. At the back of Bernie's book was a questionnaire called the Diagnostic Checklist for Behavior-Disturbed Children. The questionnaire, or E1 as it came to be known, revolutionized the assessment and diagnosis of autistic kids. Here's Rimland explaining his checklist in that same documentary. I, myself, am working on an objective diagnostic checklist approach to this problem. This checklist is capable of picking out cases of infantile autism The checklist featured 76 questions about a kid's behavior from birth to age 7. Now, to my non-scientist brain, these questions seem, I don't know, kind of harsh. Definitely not from the perspective of an actual autistic person. Like, is the child destructive? Did you ever suspect the child was nearly deaf? Will the child readily accept new sweaters, pajamas, etc.? Does the child say phrases over and over in a hollow, parrot-like, or echo-like voice to no purpose? And my favorite, does the child look through or walk through people as though they weren't there? And the answer to that is yes, because the child is a ghost. Okay, so the first standardized tool for assessing autism definitely framed autism as a problem and autistic kids as troubled. But at the time, it was the only one of its kind. There were no other resources like it, which is why Bernie was getting inundated with mail after the book with the questionnaire came out. Parents desperate for answers were ripping the questionnaire from the book filling it out, sending it to Bernie in the hopes that he would do some tabulations and let them know what was up with their kid. They needed to know the why behind their children's atypical behaviors. Here are some parents from that same educational film. And we noticed this stiffening. Whenever you try to pick him up, he never would seem to mold himself. He was always kind of rigid-like. But he chose to write on the walls. And he wrote, and no amount of scolding would help. We were the only house in the whole community that had his words on the ceiling. He's just like, almost like a, a little robot or a computer. Things come in and, and come out exactly as they go in, word for word. 
Yes, because all autistic people are robots. Even though our buddy Bernie was pissed that people were tearing pages from his book, he graded every questionnaire and got back to every parent. Many of them viewed Bernie as a savior or a saint. He gave them answers and hope. Sadly, though, Bernard went on to have some pretty garbage ideas about autistic people. He was of the school that autistic people need to be fixed or can be cured, like how some confused people think gay folks can be turned straight. Bernie also peddled the myth that vaccines caused autism, which they do not. He supported aversives like electric cattle prods, and he compared autistic kids to animals, like here in that same documentary. What's interesting about training autistic children as opposed to training animals is that when you train an animal, he can learn only those tricks that you've trained and nothing more. However, even those that, that have shown considerable improvement have never, to my knowledge, become truly normal. Ooh, yeesh. Bernie's ideas about fixing and curing did a lot of harm to autistic kids. Plus, he influenced generations of parents into thinking their autistic kids were deficient instead of just different. But Bernie was the first to come up with a standardized evaluative tool for autism, so we got to give him that. Eventually, the E1 checklist gave way to other methods of evaluating folks for autism. There's no definitive test because, as I mentioned before, if you know one autistic person, you know one autistic person. But at least the tests today, like the ones I was prepping to take, aren't asking, is the child cuddly? Or do people consider the child especially attractive? These tests were important for me as an adult because I wanted to understand my brain and my challenges and maybe even my strengths. I wanted a name or a framework or a prism through which to view my own experience. And if I'm honest, I just wanted to fill in a bunch of circles with my pencil. Just kidding. The tests are online. After the break, we get into them. I mean, we really get into them. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JPMorgan Chase Bank, NA member, FDIC, copyright 2024. JPMorgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. 
AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Hi, I'm Jessica St. Clair, but you can call me Jess if you're nasty. And I'm Dame Casey Wilson. We are actors, comedians, and podcasters. But above all else, we are self-appointed masters of small talk. We have written a soon-to-be Nobel Prize-winning audiobook that will shortly change the course of history called The Art of Small Talk. Now, it's no secret that, that some people don't like small talk. Don't like it. Casey, everybody hates it. Except for us. We love to chit-chat bullshit, and that's why we wrote this book. Well, it's an audiobook. You're welcome. Who has the time to read? Not me. There will be research, but not too much, because what is this, a book report? We'll also hear from learned scholars like Malcolm Gladwell and from the most important people in the world, celebs like Amy Poehler, Tony Hale, June Diane Raphael, and Colin Quinn. You can grab your copy of The Art of Small Talk today at pushkin.fm slash smalltalk or wherever you get your audiobooks. Don't forget, you can listen with your Audible and Spotify memberships too. The Art of Small Talk. How to go shallow to go deep. As I mentioned in a previous episode, Dr. Natalie Engelbrecht, the Canadian psychotherapist I was working with to get an evaluation, has a two-part process, a preliminary assessment and then a formal screening report. And the preliminary assessment consists of 13 questions that require written answers, plus six psychometric tests, also a follow-up appointment to go through all the information with Dr. Natalie. Because I am a notorious heel dragger, I put off taking all the tests. It just seemed too intimidating. For weeks, I literally had take autism tests on my to-do list, along with paint bedroom, get glasses fixed, and buy new blinds for living room. Finally, on a random Friday, I fired up the old computer and got to it. All right. Well, I guess today is the day I'm going to do this screening questionnaire. Um, okay. The first question was, what differences in social interactions do you experience, such as emotions, interests, initiating conversations, interrupting, not knowing when to talk? Whew, man, we're getting into it right out of the gate. No foreplay or nothing. I feel a little anxious about doing this because I don't think I've had to write anything about social interactions or relationships or stimming behavior before. So that's a little bit stressful to put it down on paper because it's just something I've never done before. But anxiety or not, I just had to get on with it. One of the first questions was, do you engage in stereotyped or repetitive motor movements known as stimming behavior? Hand flapping, fidgeting, aligning objects, humming, repeating phrases, etc. If so, what are your stims? I was pretty proud of my answer. I wrote, I would say that I am a casual rocker. When I wait in line, I tend to rock back and forth. 
I also often find that my legs are in motion when I'm sitting down. If my legs are crossed, I'm always moving my foot in a circular direction. Also, when I'm in bed, I am often rubbing my feet together. I often don't notice it, and my girlfriend has to ask me to stop. But what I really should have written was, yes, I stim by rubbing my fingers back and forth over and over and over on a particularly disgusting blanket that my girlfriend calls Linus the Janky Blanky and that is a source of great shame for me. In fact, I'm doing it now, even though the repetitive motion over time has caused not only tennis elbow, but also golfer's elbow. Who knew there was such a thing? The rest of the questions were equally stressful to answer. What differences in relationships do you experience, such as difficulty adjusting behavior to different social contexts, making friends? I've had a really hard time making friends over the years. As I've aged, I've gotten better at it, but when I was a kid, I had no friends. I mean, I was friendly with- What are your sensory differences slash challenges? There are certain textures that just really feel bad. Like, I hate the feeling of my thumb circling the waistband of my underwear when I'm pulling up my pants. Do you camouflage slash mask? I am a woman with a very public job. I absolutely... You change your behavior in order to fit in with others more smoothly. I was autistic, they would laugh in my face. In fact, that has happened. More than anything, I hate a light touch. In my adult relationships, I think I can have a hard time attaching those words makes my skin crawl. After answering all those questions, I started to feel really bad. I added this sentence to the bottom of my answer. Writing this out is making me feel like a freak. Because it was. It made me feel so needy and particular and like, why can't you just get over this? This isn't a pathology. This is just weirdness. But I kept on writing. And two hours and five single-space pages later, I had a document summing up what I thought were my challenges. A few days later, I started the psychometric tests. I'll make a drop somewhat. Oh, come on now. Whatever. Sometimes I sing nonsense words. Get into it. Macaroni in the pot. Documenting. Take screenshots of your answers and results. Make a more key selection. Windows. Why am I screenshotting this? The process of the images. Name all the files accordingly. This is unnecessarily complicated, I think. So I have to answer 13 questions typed out, and then I have to do one, two, three, four, five, six psychometric tests. Oh, God. All right. Well, gotta do it. First, the AQ, or Autism Quotient Test. This tool was developed in 2001 by Sir Simon Baron Cohen, a British clinical psychologist and cousin to actor Sasha Baron Cohen of Borat fame. Simon's a bit of a lightning rod in neurodivergent circles because of his theory that autistic people see the world through a male lens and are mostly interested in things that are stereotypically male, like trains or computers or telling people that they're wrong. Some of the questions seem skewed towards men and boys, like, 
I usually notice car number plates or similar strings of information. Definitely agree, slightly agree, slightly disagree, definitely disagree. I definitely disagree because I am enumerate and numbers give me hives. Some questions just seemed outdated. I would rather go to a library than a party. Like, who's just hanging out at a library for fun these days, besides little children? Over the next few days, I took the RADS-R, the Aspie quiz, the CAT-Q, the RBQ-2A, and the VIA tests, and answered questions like, have others told you that you have an odd posture or gait? And are you often surprised when others tell you that you have been rude? And do you like tongue kissing? My answers, if you're wondering, were no, yes, and it depends if the person I'm making out with is a total babe. Gross. One of these tests really made me nuts. All I'm saying right now is that one of these goddamn tests is making me do math. I mean, literally, like, add up these scores in this statement and, you know, carry the one and flip this number around. I'm like, "Mm -mm, no, I didn't sign up for this. Sorry, I have popcorn in my mouth. I'd rather, like, literally not know what is going on than have to do math. This is truly bullshit, and I didn't sign up for this. It's literally hurting my brain right now. After a few days of self-examination, I was exhausted. Bernie Rimland's initial E1 questionnaire was geared towards parents observing their kids. But here I was, trying to assess my own damn self. And that felt weird and unpleasant. It was not like taking a Cosmo quiz. But I did it. And then I sent everything off to Dr. Natalie and tried to put the whole experience out of my mind. Not two weeks later, I got an email from Dr. Natalie. The subject line read in all caps, screening report. But I didn't open the email. Instead, I texted this to my girlfriend, Hannah. I got an email from the autism doc, but you said I can't open it without you. It was a Saturday afternoon when I got the screening report email and Hannah was out of town for the day. Hannah wrote back, no, please don't. If you're desperate, we can do it tonight by Zoom, or during the day tomorrow, I'll come over. So I just had to sit on my hands and not open the email. Ugh, the restraint. I took the dog for a long walk, ordered Thai takeout, and binged season four of The Crown. It felt like the longest night of my life. The next morning, Hannah came over to my apartment. Have you, like, really not opened this yet? No, look, look, I have not opened this. Did you not open it because I wasn't here and I made you not open it? Or did you not open it because you, because it's too big? No, because you made me not open it. You literally sent me like 900 text messages that were like, absolutely do not open it in like all caps. Like, do not open it. I love you. Don't open it. Don't open it. (laughs) But now the wait was over. All was about to be revealed. Or was it? Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, 
and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC, copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Hi, I'm Jessica St. Clair, but you can call me Jess if you're nasty. And I'm Dame Casey Wilson. We are actors, comedians, and podcasters. But above all else, we are self-appointed masters of small talk. We have written a soon-to-be Nobel Prize-winning audiobook that will shortly change the course of history called The Art of Small Talk. Now, it's no secret that, that some people don't like small talk. Don't like it? Casey, everybody hates it. Except for us. We love to chit-chat bullshit, and that's why we wrote this book. Well, it's an audiobook. You're welcome. Who has the time to read? Not me. There will be research, but not too much, because what is this, a book report? We'll also hear from learned scholars like Malcolm Gladwell and from the most important people in the world, celebs like Amy Poehler, Tony Hale, June Diane Raphael, and Colin Quinn. You can grab your copy of The Art of Small Talk today at pushkin.fm slash smalltalk or wherever you get your audiobooks. Don't forget, you can listen with your Audible and Spotify memberships too. The Art of Small Talk. How to go shallow to go deep. I'm not sure how one is supposed to feel when anticipating the results of an autism screening assessment. I mean, it's not like I was waiting to hear whether a biopsy found cancer or anything. Regardless of the results of my screening, nothing fundamental would change in my life, right? I wasn't going to die or lose my home or get fired from my job. I mean, mostly because I didn't have one. Still, I was freaked out. Well, what are you more worried that it's yes or no? I just want to note that the dog is sitting snuggling with you right now when I'm the one who needs comfort. Like, dog, don't you realize, like, I'm the one in a situation here? Whatever. We're Now I'm just rambling. Should I just open it? Why are you looking at me like that? Because I'm, I'm nervous. Okay. I'm nervous for you. I'm just nervous for you. It's like a lot at stake. Do you think I need to have, like, a game plan of, like, if yes, this, if no, this? Like, before you open it? Yeah. Do you need a game plan? I actually guess I didn't think about what the scenarios were. And I'm always somebody who games out, like, 
you're gaming out the logistics. Like, yes, I'm gaming out the logistics because the logistics are how I can manage my feelings around this or manage like what you do. Because if you get a flat out, like, yeah, I don't see anything here. You seem totally typical and like, you know, everything is fine. Then it, I think that opens like a real Pandora's box of, well, now what? And now what do I do? So let's say she read everything you wrote, all all sort of recollections of your childhood and and just like memories and, and pain points. And she's like, yeah, it's just life. Like that's, I don't see any sort writes- of discernible pattern here except like you're you. In what ways does that make you feel good? In what ways does that make you feel bad? I think it actually feels bad because I feel like there's this collection of challenges. And if they're not all talking to each other and they're all these sort of discrete issues, then it's like, it just makes it harder to think of how to adjust to them or how to reconcile with the ways that they have impacted my life. I think that being able to have word for something other people will give you the word. The word is usually like difficult. Yes. Or the word is, you know, a pain in the ass. Or the word is picky. Or there's like a whole bunch of words that people will give you rigid, and rigid, intractable, intractable like inflexible. Yeah. And so it's it's nice to have a word that you can give back and be like, actually, I'm autistic. So that's that's the problem with it being a no. It's like you don't get the relief of having a word that can that can kind of like clear out the other words. At this point, One I think we're question. just stalling here. But Hannah's trying so, to keep us on task. What if it's a yes? Oh, what if it's a yes? I don't know. I do, actually don't know. I mean, I feel like a little bit choked up even thinking about that. I'm sorry. I'm distracted by my dog who is nuzzling even further into your lap. Okay, but I don't know. I mean, how I feel, I have no idea. I don't know how to anticipate that. I mean, we've been talking about it for so long, and I I really, I honestly don't know. So we're going to open this. But first, just name a couple of things you might feel if it's a yes. This is a lightning round. Lauren, you are officially diagnosed as autistic. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Relief, anxiety, like fear. Great. No, you just answered them. You did it. A little bit of relief, some anxiety, like, do I want to tell anybody? Some shame, but also some, like, elation, because it's nice to have an identity. Like, what are all the things? I mean, you just named all of them, and that actually is very helpful, so I don't have to do it. Okay, let's go. I actually feel, like, a little bit sick about doing this. Actually, like, I don't. (laughs) I don't think I can actually open it. Can I? <laughs> I mean, maybe it wasn't like I didn't. Maybe it wasn't that hard for me to not open it last night because I didn't. I didn't really want to open it. I didn't actually think I would feel like bad. I really didn't. Like, I thought it would just like open the email, read it. It's fine. It's like no big deal. Like, and it's like not fine. 
I think I probably have to open it myself, though, don't I? Mm-hmm. Fuck. <sighs> Where's my autism support dog? I got it together enough to click on the email. Oh, what? Use this link to download your screening assessment document? Oh. What? I can't read all these words. Just click. Huh? Just click it. I can't just put it in an email because then, like, people will see it. Oh, I had to download. What a... I literally thought I would just open an email and it would just be like, ba-ding. It would be a big, yes, exclamation. <laughs> it would just say, you're autistic. Oh, What? Oh, what is this? Who uses pages? I opened the attachment and I just couldn't figure it out. It was a total word salad to me. Like, what was I even reading? Oh my fucking God. Are you kidding me? It's like 900 pages long. That's only one thing that you need to read for now. I don't see anything. Look again. listening to The Loudest Girl in the World. It's hosted, written, and executive produced by me, Lauren Ober. Our senior producer is Ryder Alsop. Our associate producer is David Ja. Sophie Crane is our showrunner and senior editor. Jake Gorski is our mix engineer. Music composed by my autistic Kiwi pal, the inimitable Ladyhawk. Our artwork was created by the autistic illustrator Loretta Ipsum. The show was fact-checked by Andrea Lopez-Cruzado, and our autism consultant is Sarah Caput. Our executive producers are Mia Lobel and Lital Molad. A lot of the research in this episode came from Steve Silberman's book, Neurotribes, The Legacy of Autism and the Future of Neurodiversity as well as the book In a Different Key, The Story of Autism by John Donvan and Karen Zucker. John and Karen also host a podcast called Autism's First Child. So check that out. Thanks for listening, friend. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too.
Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventionalawards. See you there. Hi, I'm Jessica St. Clair, but you can call me Jess if you're nasty. And I'm Dame Casey Wilson. We are actors, comedians, and podcasters. But above all else, we are self-appointed masters of small talk. We have written a soon-to-be Nobel Prize-winning audiobook that will shortly change the course of history called The Art of Small Talk. Now, it's no secret that, that some people don't like small talk. Don't like it. Casey, everybody hates it. Except for us. We love to chit-chat bullshit, and that's why we wrote this book. Well, it's an audiobook. You're welcome. Who has the time to read? Not me. There will be research, but not too much, because what is this, a book report? We'll also hear from learned scholars like Malcolm Gladwell and from the most important people in the world, celebs like Amy Poehler, Tony Hale, June Diane Raphael, and Colin Quinn. You can grab your copy of The Art of Small Talk today at pushkin.fm slash smalltalk or wherever you get your audiobooks. Don't forget, you can listen with your Audible and Spotify memberships too. The Art of Small Talk. How to go shallow to go deep. 